Hello and welcome to PRM Talks. My name is Isabella Pace. PRM Talks is brought to you by TRM Labs, the leading provider of blockchain intelligence and anti-money laundering software. Today, I'm joined by Ewan McGowan and Rachel Hunter to discuss the UK's recent publication of the second economic crime plan. As the UK continues to aspire to be a leading crypto asset hub, we'll discuss why the UK needs a tailored plan for illicit finance and crypto assets, what the plan means for the UK's registered crypto businesses, and how this plan will drive integrity in the market. So without further ado, let me introduce our speakers. Ewan McGowan is the head of economic crime in His Majesty's Treasury, where he's led the development of Economic Crime Plan 2 and HMT's strategy for AML supervision of the crypto asset sector. Thank you so much for joining us today, Ewan. Thank you for having me. No problem. Uh, Rachel Hunter has led crypto asset policy in the Home Office's Economic Crime Directorate since June 2022. Rachel's responsibilities focus on the delivery of actions and priorities within Economic Crime Plan 2, specifically in regards to the criminal abuse of crypto assets. It's great to have have you with us, Rachel. Thank you, Isabella. Glad to be here. So we've clearly got two of the best people to discuss the second economic crime plan and what it means for the UK's crypto asset sector. But before we kick off into our discussion, um, I have a couple of points of housekeeping. So you should see on the right hand of your screen now a selection of tabs, one of which reads handouts. And here you'll be able to find all of our latest uh, TRM insights pieces that focus on the UK. You might want to download these for future reading. In the tabs, you'll also find a Q&A box. And we really encourage you to ask as many questions as possible during this session. As I said, you have two of the leading experts on economic crime plan too. So now is your chance. I will keep an eye on that Q&A tab throughout. Um, I'll try and weave in some questions. But if not, we have plenty of time at the end to get into them. If you do have any questions um, that go into a lot of detail, our panelists might just follow up after you afterwards with you um, to give you everything that you need. Let's get into it. Economic crime is a threat to the UK's national security and prosperity. In the plan, the National Crime Agency says that it's probable that over £100 billion is laundered every single year through the UK. And when we look specifically at crypto assets within the illicit economy, it's estimated that £1.24 billion of transactions might be illicit, which is roughly 1% of the overall transaction volume of UK crypto. To kick us off, Ewan, it would be great if you could give us an overview of the whole of Economic Crime Plan 2. Sure, happy to. Um, As I said, thanks for everyone for having me. So as you're probably aware, there was a first economic crime plan that ran until July 2022. Um, now, the scope of that plan was narrower than this plan. So as that iteration of the plan came to a conclusion, we we held an economic crime strategic board, which basically brings together ministers and senior representatives from industry to discuss what we might need to do to enhance and strengthen our response to economic crime. Uh, broadly, the sort of 
the main takeaways from that conversation and the focus of the development of the crime plan has been around ensuring that the changes we're delivering or actions we're taking have a mon measurable and um, measure, mon measurable impact on economic crime plan. So to do that, we've thought about ways that, you know, the um, action, the impact of activity can be better understood. So that's about trying to understand the criteria through which we might monitor changes in overall money laundering volumes, way industry is responding to changes we're making, but also taking account of practical steps that we're taking. So for instance, supervisory visits, as well as um, direct disruption activity that would be taken on the law enforcement side. So we started with the premise that rather than just making technical and structural changes to the way the UK's economic crime system was, was being reformed, we needed a strategy that really was underpinned by that approach to ensuring that the effectiveness of activity that we were taking would be a really clear strand throughout the plan. The other key development that we noted was that the first iteration was primarily focused on money laundering. As I'm sure many of you are aware, both in the crypto sector, but more widely, that's only one economic crime typology. So we therefore wanted to expand the scope of the plan this, in this, with this iteration to include not only money laundering, but sanctions evasion, kleptocracy and fraud, which has been, as I'm sure you're aware, one of the growing um, economic crime threats in recent years. So with that sort of framework, we went about developing the crime plan with industry and civil society over the course of the last year. Uh, going about doing that obviously was was in some ways disrupted by the significant year we had on economic crime with Russia's invasion of Ukraine. That led to uh, two major pieces of economic crime legislation, as well as a significant um, uptick in activity on sanctions, for instance, as well as um, the establishment of the combating kleptocracy cells. So with that that framework we went into the summer with a whole host of new potential powers emerging and new capabilities being developed and we wanted to make sure that those new legislative regulatory and operational capabilities were effectively utilized so over the course of the summer and into autumn we had numerous engagements with industry including the crypto sector to try and understand what was in their interest and what concerns they were having um, i think some some key examples there include improved information sharing across sectors within sectors between the private and the public sector was a priority similarly as well the need for us to think uh, more carefully about how we could better prioritize the the use of resources across the system both again within the private and public sector um so those are some illustrative examples of the kind of way we approach development of the crime plan too and as you'll now see i don't i don't know if we, we maybe can share some materials after but Basically, within those three strands that I mentioned, under money laundering, we've highlighted a number of key thematic areas. So, for instance, one being um, limiting the abuse of UK corporate structures. As Isabella mentioned, we know that there's a high chance that um, over 100 billion is laundered through the UK every year. And we think one of the main conduits for that is through UK corporate structures. So we've we've now passing legislation to give companies house uh, powers to not just own the register, but verify information. and challenge that which challenge um yeah materials that might be uh, suspicious and you work with regulators and law enforcement that's one example of the way we're trying to tackle money laundering another is the introduction of a new section on combating the abuse of crypto assets when the first economic crime plan was published um in 2019 and you know most of you will have been well aware of crypto assets but i think we hadn't yet fully got a, a the intelligence picture and the kind of capabilities there. So this was a real central focus of this crime plan too, is to make sure that we're 
dealing with this and other emerging risks, not just for the sort of, you know, intention of reducing money laundering as a whole, but also to help ensure that these new and emerging sectors, such as the crypto asset sector, can be supported by safe and safe and competitive economic growth. Um, I'll then quickly briefly touch on the other two areas. So the um, combating kleptocracy and driving down sanctions evasions is quite clearly a product of the year that we just had and are continuing to battle with the risk of you know sanctions evasion primarily. So a lot of the activity we're taking there is around uh, working again with industry to ensure that designations and release of information to the private sector is done in a timely and proportionate manner, that guidance is given in a way that helps support compliance and also removes and, and reduces loopholes where possible. Um, similarly as well on the combating kleptocracy side, we've got a whole new cell. Um, what we want to do there is really make sure that its capabilities are leveraged so that that's, for instance, making adva taking advantage of uh, the role of the regulator in understanding financial services markets, for instance, but also working with other bodies within the National Crime Agency, for instance, the Intelligence Centre, to make sure that um, we're leveraging all the capabilities we have. Finally, as mentioned, fraud is probably the biggest threat within the UK on a domestic level. It's over 40% of economic crime. So it would be remiss of us, I think, to put it lightly, to not include it within the scope of this plan. What, what this iteration of the plan does is it, it sets out a number of steps that we're taking to combat public sector frauds. And underneath the crime plan too, we'll sit the fraud strategy as a separate document. Um, I think I think that's a very quick summary. I'm happy to answer any immediate questions you have, Isabella. Um, and I'm happy to share further materials around the crime plan too. It was published just last month. So, you know, please do take a look online and look through that. It sets out the actions we're taking within it are a number of milestones and the timelines that included within them for where we intend to deliver those actions. No, that's that's excellent. Thank you so much, Ewan. And and as we would say to the audience, do not be put off by the 90 pages of the plan. That was a really good summary of it. And uh, it, it's broken into really digestible sections. And I think what we see in Economic Crime Plan 2, as you say, Ewan, is this move to being much more dynamic in terms of taking the uh, like a really holistic uh, approach to tackling economic crime. Um, and again, it's great to see the continued uh, use of public-private partnerships in both the development of the plan, but also the execution. And I think that makes it a really unique approach when we compare the UK's approach to other countries around the world. Uh, but as you and mentioned there, Rachel, for the first time, we have this dedicated section on combating criminal abuse of crypto assets. Why now do we, in the Economic Crime Plan 2, need this dedicated section? Ewan touched on a couple of points. And what is it hoping to achieve? No worries. I think just to add as well, Isabella, before I sort of launch into that question um, to what yourself and Ewan both said, was that this Economic Crime Plan was a huge undertaking um, and it's an incredibly collaborative document. You can see that from the range of players involved. Um, so it's we're something that we're very proud of um, and that we are committed to delivering. Um, so in terms of the crypto assets section and why now? So we must continually assess and respond to the threat. Um, the threat landscape has changed. Criminal abuse of crypto assets has grown significantly. Um, <clears throat> crypto assets are even the most commonly reported technological enabler used to launder the proceeds of crime. And um, this is based on threat assessments produced um, for government, apologies, 
<clears throat> so the government's 2020 uh, National Risk Assessment of Money Laundering and Terrorist Financing, it found that the risks associated with virtual crypto assets and criminality to be growing, and it provided a medium risk score rating. Um, and as you and uh, all of your viewers will be well aware, develops, developments within the crypto asset industry are fast constantly evolving um, and we need to remain alive to that and to respond accordingly. So in terms of what is the crypto asset section, um, it focuses, as you had said, on combating the criminal abuse of crypto assets um, and then it sits within the reduce money laundering and recover more criminal assets section of the plan. HMG has afforded priority to crypto assets as an enabler of economic crime and that's really key. Um, it's an enabler of crime. It is not, we are not suggesting that all users of crypto assets are doing so for nefarious purposes. Um, and a holistic approach is really vital, as I said, a sort of collaborative approach, looking at all aspects of government, all law enforcement capabilities, regulation of the market, and use of crypto assets by serious organized crime. And the actions that you'll see within the plan are very much designed to address the threats the gaps and any weaknesses that we may see across this whole approach. So this full spectrum approach has three key actions within it. Number one is enhanced law enforcement capacity and capability to pursue and prosecute the use of crypto assets to launder illicit finance. Number two is close vulnerabilities that enable the illicit use of crypto or virtual assets through improvements to legislative and regulatory regimes and strengthen and enhance technological capabilities across the system. So with regards to that first action, enhancing law enforcement capacity and capability, the National Economic Crime Centre, and that sits within the National Crime Agency, they'll be working very collaboratively with the private and public sector partners, um, and they're looking to drive forward plans to significantly reduce, improve the understanding of the threat landscape and increase capability and resource to effectively tackle that threat. So this will hopefully, and the plan is, it will increase barriers for criminals to use crypto assets um, as part of any serious organised crime within the UK, and also just improve all of the safeguards within the UK financial system. With regards to the second action, so that's closing vulnerabilities in legislative and regulatory regimes, the focus here is very much on collaboration with the crypto asset industry. We need to ensure our regulatory and supervisory system takes a targeted and proportionate approach to economic crime risks. So that will involve continued and broad consultation, um, with the plan being to protect consumers, but also to protect firms as well. Um, and finally, in terms of strengthening and enhancing technological capability across the system. So this action very much points to the need to keep pace with changes in the crypto asset industry and the way in which crypto assets can be manipulated and used for nefarious purposes. So again, a significant focus on collaboration with industry partners, sharing of intelligence is really key as well to respond to that illicit use of crypto. And also, with regards specifically to the Home Office, we'll be working with law enforcement to enhance security around crypto assets which have been seized and need to be safely stored during the life cycle of a court case, which can be um, quite lengthy. 
Um, we'll also be working with law enforcement to make sure they have access to technology, which allows them to trace and identify users who, again, would exploit crypto assets for illicit gains. But why now? Well, uh, we're certainly not just beginning to address crypto now. Um, it's something that we have been working on. While some of this is in its early stages, much of the work within the plan is already underway. So, you know, given the changing threat landscape that we've already mentioned, now is really the time to demonstrate and emphasize that commitment that we have to tackling illicit use of crypto, um, but also fostering the crypto asset market in the UK. And the key to all of this is protecting UK citizens and its customers. Thanks so much for that um, deep dive there, Rachel. And I think that point around protecting customers is such an interesting one because, as Ewan said, the first economic crime plan focused so heavily on money laundering. And there we think a bit less about consumers. But when we look here, consumer protection, especially as relates to fraud, is such a big issue. Um, and so it's really interesting to see this pivot uh, to really thinking about the consumer in this plan. Um, before we move on, we sort of go into some of the private sector implications. You touched there on what all this means for law enforcement. And I think, you know, if we look back, as Ewan says, to 2019, I can't really think of a law enforcement response that we had to crypto assets back then. We see a huge uplift in this plan. Um, could you maybe tell us a little bit more about what the plans are in terms of training? Um, as you say, we've got the new crypto cell and then maybe also some of the legislative changes, uh, the economic crime and corporate transparency bill and how that will improve um, our capacity for asset recovery. Absolutely. The, the Economic Crime and Corporate Transparency Bill is a really good example of what I was just saying, that a lot of the work is well underway and we are already alive to the risks and addressing them as we need to. Um, so reform of the legislation as it currently stands is necessary. Um, as we've said, the proce proceeds of crime are increasingly held in the form of crypto assets. Um, so to give you an example of that, um, crypto assets are one of only a few accepted payment mechanisms used by cyber criminals who are demanding payment for ransomware attack. Um, and again, that poses a significant threat to the UK public and to businesses. So there's also a risk that crypto assets become increasingly exploited um, to raise or move funds of terrorist activity as well in the future. So that th this bill was also created to um, to address those threats um, and what we're seeing in terms of the use of crypto assets by criminals increasing. Um, so just to talk a little bit about the bill itself. So it contains measures to reform criminal confiscation powers in part two of the Proceeds of Crime Act 2002. So a little bit of background. So these powers allow for a person's benefit from crime to be confiscated following a successful criminal conviction in Crown Court. And the purpose of the reforms in the bill are to ensure that they better cater to intangible assets um, and enable crypto assets to be seized earlier on in the confiscation process. So these powers will apply to all assets, but will be particularly useful in the context of crypto assets going forward. Um, there's also an amendment to civil forfeiture powers in part five of the Proceeds of Crime Act. Um, so civil forfeiture powers provide for the recovery of certain assets without a criminal conviction at a magistrate's court. 
So these powers will enable swift recovery of crypto assets and related items, such as physical wallets, um, in the magistrate's court by more agencies. So these new powers, again, will enable the recovery of crypto assets relative to other assets, such as cash or funds in account. Um, you know, the legislation can become outdated when it comes to technology. And some of this is just as, again, keeping pace um, with the changes in the in the environment. Um, so as you mentioned, Isabella, as well, it's also worth mentioning in this context, um, the focus that the plan puts on training of law enforcement officers, investigators and intelligence officers. So using the existing powers that we have in the Proceeds of Crime Act um, ahead of the bill, law enforcement they can seize and recover crypto assets, but there's a degree of technical knowledge required in order to achieve a successful result there. So it's really important that training opportunities are provided for law enforcement to ensure that they can understand and can use the tools that they have available to them. Um, and within the plan, this goes as far as training law enforcement to understand the crypto asset regime um, and the supervisory role of the Financial Conduct Authority. Um, I mean, if you think of it in the most simple terms, if you've got a frontline police officer entering a home um, and they don't know what they're looking for um, in terms of physical crypto asset, um, you know, wallets or seed words, et cetera, how could they seize it? It's, it's very simple terms like that. Um, and just sort of mainstreaming that into all of our training um, is something that this plan is really focused on. Um and then also with regards to those technological priorities under the crypto asset section that I mentioned earlier on safe storage of crypto assets and access to technology to trace illicit use of crypto assets. Uh, that's also a priority and is an ongoing piece of work. Um, so our focus here is really just enhancing the structures and the technology that we already have in place, make it more secure, more effective and to ensure that we really have the best value for money for the public as well. Excellent. Thank you for that. And I must say, I think it's important to recognise the huge opportunity that uh, we have with crypto assets when we think about having that ability to seize them if we can effectively train officers to identify artefacts that might be illicit, have successful convictions and then recover assets. The, uh, the size of the opportunity is huge. And when we see for example, in the US, massive seizures of crypto assets, um, which, you know, pending successful prosecution, that money can then go back into uh, funding the our response to economic crime. Um, I will, a little shameless plug, we have a piece coming out in a couple of days, maybe next week, on best practices for asset seizure and recovery um, that uh, viewers will be encouraged to search for online when it is ready. Um, Ewan, yeah, I'm jump in because I've seen a question from Peter and another from Jerry that um, kind of touch on a few points that I wanted to mention in addition about economic crime plan too, which is, I say, Rachel's um, done a very good summary of the the Home Office led measures around crypto asset seizure and storage and other ways that we're increasing law enforcement capabilities. I think the other really key pillar that again Rachel alluded to that might be worth elaborating on is around. The role of supervision, the FCA, and the wider regulatory framework. So, I was about to say, let's move on to the private sector. We've heard about impacts on the public. What does all this mean for the private sector? Yeah, I was going to. So, I think the first thing I was going to touch on, which has also been asked by Peter, is around the travel rule, which um, is basically uh, an agreed international standard at the Financial Action Task Force around um, sharing beneficiary and recipient information 
on crypto asset transfers above uh, certain thresholds internationally and, and within domestic settings that applies between virtual asset service providers, which is the equivalent of I think, crypto asset firms registered in the UK. Um, so this is an international standard, firstly, for um, those who might not be aware, which that, what that means is all major jurisdictions are implementing some version of the travel rule as defined. Um, now, we passed the legislation to implement the travel rule last July, and it's coming into effect this September. What that means is that any transfer above, um, international transfer above a value of a thousand pounds or euros, depending on the way you prefer to frame it, is um, required. There's an information requirement that's attached to that. Similarly, as well, domestic transfers between involving firms are within scope two. This, this requirement basically builds on the fund transfer regulation, which exists for other sectors, such as the money sector, and is intended for us to support um you know ongoing supervision of of um transaction flows within the crypto asset sector but also to help improve and enhance money laundering investigations within the sector for law enforcement purposes um and i think something that's been really helpful throughout and is a good illustration of the way that the private and public sector need to work together is actually this is such a novel area that over the course of the development of legislation on the travel we had a number of engagements i think with Elliptic was one example, chain analysis were others to help us best understand how we could calibrate the expectations. And, and one example of that, I think, relates to hosted and self-hosted wallets or unhosted wallets. Um, now, it's practically very difficult to verify, um, you know, the, who the owner is of those, those wallets. So what we decided to do was encourage a risk-based approach so that higher risk transfers were required to be accompanied by the travel rule standards and requirements. What we're currently now doing as well, building on this approach to industry engagement and making sure that we're making the most of the expertise that exists across the sector is working with the EMA and the JSMLG, which is the Joint uh, Money Laundering Steering Group, uh, to develop guidance that'll help firms and better understand the sort of requirements that are expected. Now that, that, that process is, is an iterative one, is industry-led ultimately, but we'll, we'll intend to publish that guidance shortly to ensure that, um, you know, the sector is aware of its its obligations under this this new standard and i'm sure there are likely to be teething pains as as there have been in other areas of you know crypto asset regulation but as I said, the, the overarching approach that's underpinned our our development of the travel is that it should be technologically neutral so it shouldn't impose disproportionate burdens relative to other sectors we should work with industry to understand ways we can make sure that the requirements are manageable and practically operational operational um, and then I think sort of finally as well, I think uh, it was Peter's question that's disappeared now, but he also asked sort of um, what would be the supervisor approach. So that's something that we've alluded to in the plan itself under the uh, second action in the crypto assets section where we want, we're currently working with the FCA to ensure that our approach to supervision of compliance isn't just driven by, you know, um, like the, the exact drafting of the travel rule or the way that the fact of expectations are set out is making sure that things are done in a way that's um you know building on the engagement and, and comms that we've taken to date to ensure that you know where there might be issues with technology techno technological solutions that are currently offered that we take account of those and make sure that you know compliance isn't isn't just a binary option there's approach to sort of escalating and improving performance and and that is something that i think hopefully a lot of firms and individuals saw during the registration process where 
where we could, the FCA's approach was guided by you know, um, iterative engagement, ensuring that firms understood why certain requirements were in, in place. Um, that, that aside, so, you know, happy to answer any further questions about the travel rule. There's a number of other changes coming down the line. That includes the crypto asset financial promotions rules, though, as well as the wider regulatory regime that we announced, the Treasury announced consultation on earlier this year. That extends to, intends to expand and, um, expand the scope of our regulatory regime, just basically to ensure that it's as comprehensive as can be. Um, from a financial crime perspective, it might be worth noting that we're also intending to bring on FISMA style powers. So that extends to things like fraud, bribery, corruption into the crypto asset sector. What, what again has driven our approach is that we shouldn't be introducing or imposing additional burdens. So what we'd like to do with that is ensure that for any firms that are registered in the UK, they don't have to go through the portal twice providing the same information, but providing additional material to help ensure that um, firms are FISMA compliant, which is something that, you know, firms across the financial services sector are expected to do. Um, so I think, so those are the regulatory changes. What does it mean for industry? I, I'm, I'm sure there's there's people listening in that are probably potentially intimidated by what the travel rule or what the new regulatory issue means for them. My, my overarching view is that this is something that we want to work with industry on. It's not about, you know, shutting down firms or making you know, the UK uncompetitive. If anything, it's the exact opposite of that. We want to make sure is that consumers, investors and firms themselves are given the full confidence and, and flexibility to act as a way that, you know, act in a way that supports, you know, um, nimble and, and innovative solutions to emerging things. And we see the crypto asset sector and, you know, you'll have probably seeing speeches by the Chancellor and the City Minister hi highlighting how important that is to our ambition to make the UK a you know, financial centre for the 21st century. So our approach is guided by basically ensuring that the sector is safe and competitive and that we are compliant with international standards as any other mainstream, major jurisdiction could be. Uh, but we want to do that in a way that works hand in glove with industry where we can, and that includes you know, wider industry bodies as, as appropriate to ensure that the sort of expectations and goals we've set within the crime plan too for for our regulatory environment delivered in a way that's prompt but proportionate. Absolutely. And I think you know sometimes we forget that anti-financial crime is actually it's a key driver of, of market integrity across all financial sectors. Um, and like a proportionate and effective anti-money laundering compliance can drive financial inclusion and it can drive financial integrity. So I think like having a, that as a core understanding of the objectives of the plan is really important. Um, to pick up on a couple of your points there, I think it's, and I'm sure it'll be very reassuring to our audience to hear your points around the travel rule. We know from around the world that that is going to be a technically challenging piece, um, especially when we have firms or entities that are operating in, in, in different markets which might have different uh, implementations of the travel rule. So hearing that the government is planning to take a really supportive approach to that, I think, will be very encouraging. Um, Rachel, do you have any points on the travel rule? I was going to quickly come in on, on that as well. As but one thing that I would like to stress as well is because this the travel rule standard is coming from the Financial Action Task Force, something that we're doing consistently is working with partner jurisdictions, so the U.S., European member states as well as the EU itself and, and you know, jurisdictions such as Singapore to understand how they've gone about setting the legislative standards and what they intend to do to ensure that that's properly regulated and supervised. So 
as much as we can, we're working with other jurisdictions to make sure that the requirements align in a way that doesn't create operational or technical barriers for firms. Um, and also, I'd like to stress that we're in a, a, a good position, actually, after EU exit. It means that we can look at the US's new regulatory regime as well as the NECA from, from the EU and take elements that we think are sensible and, you know, industry have supported and adapt them so that they best suit the UK's regulatory environment. And that, that extends to the travel where we were able to amend the the funds transfer regulation in a way that we thought was was the best fit for the crypto asset sector itself. So I think there's a number of opportunities there as well. But do please ask a question for Rachel as well. I'm happy to stop. <laughs> oh, and we, we look forward to that guidance. And um, I wanted to touch just on a couple of other points that will impact the private sector. Uh, so, Rachel, you spoke briefly um, about some of the information sharing provisions that change with the economic crime and corporate transparency bill. I feel like these haven't got quite as much attention as, as they maybe should have done. And they're pretty exciting in terms of how regulated firms can share information. Um, and then also on uh, maybe to touch briefly on the issue of fraud, as we know it's such a big issue in, in the crypto asset space and the Economic Crime and Corporate Transparency Bill does introduce the new offence around um, the corporate uh, prevention of fraud. So um, maybe just a little bit more detail on those two points. And of course, if you have any other questions, please do uh, send them in. Yes, no problem, Isabel. I saw that um, Jerry had asked a question as well, actually, about um, information sharing and whether we could um, help combat crime by sharing information and how we could do that practically. So um, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, so, yeah, the crypto asset sector will be um, included in both direct and indirect information sharing measures that are included in the Economic Crime Corporate Transparency Bill. Um, so it is mentioned within the Economic Crime Plan as well. So under there'll be a sort of public-private economic crime data strategy, um, which will be produced and implemented. Um, and that will look to enhance the exploitation of data across the ecosystem to better prevent, detect and pursue economic crime. Um, so the information sharing measures in the bill um, will look to um, two specific um, types of sharing. So direct sharing and indirect sharing. Um, so there's two provisions. It will basically look at enabling information sharing directly between two businesses um, within various scenarios. So it might be um, a request where one business um, wants to ask for information to assist them in preventing or detecting economic crime from another business, or it might be a sort of warning um, where a business can warn a business about their customer. Um, and there's also indirect sharing as well, which will enable information sharing um, be a sort of a third party platform. Um, so we're really pleased to see that sort of um, brought out within the plan as well um, and yes yeah, so that is within the uh, current economic crime corporate transparency bill which is currently working its way um, through parliament um, and should we should see some sort of effect for the crypto asset industry as well. Um, on corporate criminal liability I could touch on this briefly um, so there was a report by the law commission which um, came up with uh, many many recommendations for government um, around corporate criminal liability that is something that is being picked up at the moment across HMG um, led by the Home Office um, and again um, that will be a sort of quite a long-term piece of work um, and again another collaborative piece of work um, and we're in the sort of early stages of going through all of those different recommendations um, and working towards how we can uh, best fulfill that. 
Excellent. Um, and I think it's just important to really underscore just how transformational those information sharing powers might be uh, to the fight against economic crime in the UK for so long. Uh, information sharing or information held in silos created really big barriers to understanding the threat and the nature of um, the threat landscape. And I think also in, in crypto assets, you have a particular opportunity when we have a huge amount of the uh, the landscape on public blockchains, which gives us a view of what's going on, which is unparalleled to traditional finance. If we can then also connect sort of the off-chain elements using back channels between entities and uh, you know VASPs, we should have a really, really good understanding of, of what's going on um, in the regulated market. So personally, I think that was my highlight from, from the economic crime plan. I thought that was really exciting. Um, is there any other sort of big dates for the diary that the private sector needs to be aware of, of things that are coming up uh, that might have come from the economic crime plan? Um, I'll go first. Um, I have a, a couple, and I, I I would stress not a date for the diary, um, but we do have a new um, a new strategy to address the threat of fraud, um, which will be published shortly by the Home Office. Um, so this will set out how we'll work with industry to remove vulnerabilities that fraudsters uh, might exploit, and with law enforcement to identify and bring the most harmful offenders to justice, um, and with all partners to ensure that the public have the advice and the support that they need. Um, so the Economic Crime Plan 2 is the overarching document um, and under which will sit the forthcoming fraud strategy. Um, and that will also sit alongside the anti-corruption strategy as well. Um, and I think something else to mention in terms of you know what will come out of the Economic Crime Plan is that we'll be uh, closely monitoring the progress and the impact of the plan. Um, we don't sort of put out a plan and then just say, right, you know, let's let's just leave it out there in the public and that's our commitment. Um, what we want to do is make sure that it's having an impact um, and it is effective. Um, so there'll be an outcomes framework that we'll be developing to help us to track and measure progress and performance across the system um, from the delivery of the actions to the ultimate impacts that those actions are having. Um, so the data annex, which was published alongside the plan, that's the first step in identifying um, the available data that we have on fraud, money laundering and kleptocracy. Um, so we're going to be working again collaboratively with experts and stakeholders to make sure that we explore opportunities to access new data um, and help to refine our performance indicators um, in this outcomes framework. I think in terms of other dates for the diary, so there's an awful lot of milestones within the crypto asset section of the plan. I would I would urge um, those interested to have a look through the relevant that relevant section and look at the milestones that we've set. An awful lot of them are actually this year, so that you know there's activity being undertaken already. Um, I think a few other things to be aware of in terms of wider developments is the Treasury will be shortly publishing a consultation on reforms to the supervisory regime, which will have um, you know, effects for the role in which you know, the FCA as well as Lockbass potentially sit within the overall supervisory system, and that will extend to you know that will have consequences for um, rather the the crypto asset sector in terms of how it's supervised and, and the way in which um, you know supervisory structures work in the UK. So that's I think one other thing to be aware of. But um, you know I think as I say a lot of this process is is Rich I think you probably agree is we will introduce increased capabilities, but the impact of them is not necessarily immediate. It's already happening. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't suspect there'll be quite as many big bang moments compared to say like the travel rule or other changes with the registration regime that happened over the last few years. Instead, I would, 
I would stress that this this approach to when, you know tackling abuse of crypto assets and strengthening our system to combat money laundering is is about a kind of steadily improved and more effective response to the various risks. Um, on Jerry's question, for instance, so we've announced a, a commitment to introduce a private public cell within the operational board, underneath the operational board, which is a national crime agency-led um, governance structure. What that will do is is replicate the sort of systems that already exist for other sectors, for instance, you know, the financial services sector, where, um, and I'm sure you, I'm sure you know, TRM sees a lot of this, there are particular typologies and ways that fraud or money laundering and other economic crime types take place and occur. And what, what we in government, I think, are really keen to do is build on, on that level of expertise and sort of actual on-the-ground experience that firms are having so that when that board is set up, that forum is set up, we're able to highlight particular intelligence threats that the private sector is seeing and we would then be able to take those away and use you know, financial intelligence reports that the FIU, for instance, is also receiving to understand where resource and that increased capability might be best focused and placed. So we don't, I don't yet have a practical example for you, Jerry, unfortunately, but that's something that already exists across the say, economic crime landscape. And we want to build on those structures that exist for other areas within the crypto asset sector so that we can, as I said at, at the outset, you know, help ensure that this sector is seen as one and continues to be seen as one where you know, you're safe to put your investments in. Fraud is often a wrapper for a lot of, crypto assets is often a wrapper for a lot of fraud typologies that appear. We want to make sure that we can take targeted action to limit that. Absolutely. And I think enhanced information sharing is such a big, it's one of the cross-cutting themes as well at the end of the plan. And as you say, we have in the UK really good experience of bringing together the public and private sectors to through things like Jim, Jimlet, the Joint Money Laundering Intelligence Task Force, um, and Jimlet Plus to, to really effectively um, understand what's going on. I expect we would also have a a new national risk assessment at some point um, this year, which will also give a better understanding maybe to those just entering the market of, of what we, we see in the UK. Um, one question I did have on all of this, and especially thinking of a date for the diary, one date for the diary is July of this year, which is when the economic crime levy comes into effect. Um, and this is a key way which of funding the plan. Um, can we talk a little bit about, you know, this is a huge uplift. We're seeing new capacity for law enforcement, looking at supervision, bringing in really big legislative change. How are we going to pay for all of this? Yeah, I can cover this and Rachel, do, do add in anything that I might miss. So for a long time, there's been calls for a, a sustainable funding model. That's because yeah, economic crime, I think, is currently about 1% of overall policing resource. And as I mentioned, fraud, for instance, is 40% of all economic crime. There are, it's a really long and, and I think extended debate that probably we shouldn't get into today because it touches on, um, you know, law enforcement wider priorities. And obviously, you know, there's, there's an awful lot of other things going on. But what we wanted to do with the creation of the levy was comp find a way to complement the, the central government funding that economic crime currently receives. So, with that in mind, we, over the period of the last three, four years, have basically developed a system whereby the regulated sector is is um, is effectively levied, as is, as the title suggests, to help support further efforts to increase and improve 
and our economic crime response. So um, you know, this is, is clearly a significant commitment from the private sector. So an approach that we've taken to complement that is ensuring that the spending is, is monitored and that we've published reports to demonstrate the impact and the intended outcomes of that sort of funding. So this is something that really sits quite nicely and neatly alongside the crime plan too. Um, what that means is that as a result of the, the, the central government funding and the crime levy is that the government now has provided an additional 400 million over the period of 23 to 26 to support the economic crime response. That's, I think, one of the most significant uplifts we've ever seen on economic crime, um, which I'm sure is welcomed, um, even if some of, some industry stakeholders might not have liked the fact that they were levied as part of that. What that's going towards is you know, various new uh, crypto capabilities are being set up within within the net, um, but also wider efforts, as I mentioned, for instance, to ensure that intelligence teams within companies' house are able to um, you know, take advantage fully of the new powers that are being provided to them. What I think that means is we're reducing money laundering vulnerabilities, for instance, across the system, which should have a, a cascade-like effect on the crypto asset sector, because if we have a cleaner corporate register, then there's fewer loopholes and fewer ways that um, companies can be exploited through through you know shell formats and overseas jurisdictions. Um, I'd note that there are a couple other commitments in the plan to explore sustain as um, sorry suspended funds and um, potentially considering changes to the asset recovery incentivization scheme. So we're looking at other potential funding sources. But we really what we really want to do is make sure that this this sort of increase in funding and the plan publication that coincides with the real clear focus on, as I said at the outset, outcomes, ensuring monitoring, because one of the challenges I think that can often be had when you're dealing with a, an issue like economic crime, where the impacts are in a shadow sector, is it can be difficult to really clearly understand what what the outcomes are of particular activity. So um, the levy and the plan, I think, it should be seen as complementary in that in that context. But Rachel, do jump in if there's anything you'd like to stress on perhaps crypto asset funding or or the levy in that sense. I think it's just to sort of confirm you that, yeah, I think what we will see is a significant uplift in staff and capacity um, and capability within law enforcement, which is really key. Um, and we're really pleased to see. Um, and particularly when it comes to crypto assets, um, we were saying earlier about training and the specific skills that you need to be able to combat that particular um, enabler. And I think that's what we'll see from the levy is that we're going to see specific teams stood up um, to combat this specific crime um, and, you know, really intense um, targeted training of law enforcement, um, I think is something that will come out of this uplift as well. Um, so it's all really positive, I think, um, for our, our sort of actions to combat illicit use of crypto. Yeah, and it's it's just you know great when you have such a uh, overarching and important plan like this to see that mit matched with a really increasingly sustainable resourcing model, um, which hopefully you know to the point about outcomes will lead to really long-standing outcomes. Um, we have had a question come in, and, and please do send in any others about um, the sort of relationship between banks and payment providers and the crypto industry and how this can there can be some sort of knee-jerk de-risking of crypto firms by banks 
This obviously is a big theme in the UK at the moment. We have seen the crypto industry body, Crypto UK, submit a letter to the city minister talking about this issue. Um, might be slightly outside your, your remit, but do we have um, any thoughts on this? Because often the de-risking is attributed to the uh, potential or high level of fraud in UK crypto businesses. Yeah. Um, so it's a really tricky one, de-risking, because as as I'm sure you know, people will appreciate, the government isn't always in a position to change the commercial decisions that are made by private firms. So this is not something we that's unique to the crypto justice sector. We've seen in other areas, for instance, overseas embassies is one example. But um, yeah, in in this sense, it's a it's a difficult issue, and I want that I can appreciate the concerns of something that we've been involved in these conversations isn't really important. Stress is that exactly the point I'm making throughout this this webinar is that the crypto asset sector being seen as an increasingly safe and um you know well-regulated one is something that we're doing that i think should help increase the confidence of of banks for instance to to not de-risk on in a sort of knee-jerk sense as as peter alludes to in terms of practical steps i'm, I'm not in a position to, to say right now i think hopefully there's i think the thing i would encourage is, is dialogue between um you know financial services providers and, and the firms themselves. Um, but it's an issue that is certainly on our radar and um, one we're quite cognizant of from both the sort of the importance of ensuring that our regulation builds confidence within, you know, between sectors, but also ensuring that banks are fully aware of the potential consequences that de-risking might have um, in terms of, you know, UK competitiveness. And this is something that is, is a real uh, priority for teams including mine working on, on making sure that the uk remains you know a, a really attractive destination for for the crypto asset firm, for crypto asset firms and important to remember also this is not a uk only problem we're seeing this sort of around the world and in terms of you know potential uh practical solutions we've seen for example in hong kong the uh finance sector government and crypto industry roundtables to try and as human said uh, really um, breed dialogue on this issue. So um, it will be interesting to see what the results have that of that will be. Um, we are coming to the end of our time. So before we leave, I wanted to ask Ewan and Rachel, Economic Crime Plan 1 was all about establishing supervision and introducing the crypto asset sector to the UK's anti-money laundering regime. To me, Economic Crime Plan 2 is really about bolstering that supervision and gaining a greater understanding of risk, building uh, capabilities and capacities for enforcement. If we look ahead to maybe 2027 and we've got the publication of ECP3, what would you like to see in that plan? I'll go first. I I don't know what the agenda will be for ECP3, um, but... What I would like to see, um, specific to the crypto asset industry, actually, Ewan just touched on it, is that we strike the right balance um, between clamping down on illicit use of crypto, but also allowing the industry to thrive. Um, I think we need to respect the opportunities, as you mentioned earlier, Isabella, with crypto assets, respect consumer choice, um, but also continue to 
attractive investment um, in the UK um, and to ensure the technology around it can be used reliably, but most importantly, safely. Um, so, yeah, in terms of what I'd like to see, um, a really thriving crypto asset industry in the UK, um, but also a fully trained, fully equipped law enforcement that has all of the tools at its disposal that it needs to protect UK citizens um, from harm. Brilliant. Um, I think for me, the something that is is front and centre of our mind is that the uh, Financial Action Task Force will have been conducting a their comprehensive view of the UK's regime. So that should hopefully flesh out further technical changes and other you know strides we should take. But speaking sort of more personally. I think the the key thing, as as we've alluded to in this discussion, is around improving information sharing, and that can often seem like a slightly nebulous concept. You know, what does information sharing achieve? What does it do? For me, I think it's about really building our sort of government and national crime agencies' capabilities within the financial intelligence unit, expanding that out, making sure that it has the most up to date and um, you know efficient IT, so that we're able to conduct bulk reviews of of information received from the financial services sector, from the crypto asset sector, from the accountancy sector. And we're able to look at those data sets and boil down where are risks lying, where are they changing, how are they evolving, and how should we therefore target resource across the system. Complementary to that as well, I'd like to, you know, we've got a, a great window with the next three years after these changes introduced on information sharing are delivered through the Economic Crime and Corporate Transparency Bill. I'd like to see the next three years build those, you know, those levels of understanding and familiarity between the private and public sector on that. But then, really, perhaps galvanising the third plan so that we're, you know, aware of potential gaps or issues that firms are taking in terms of sharing information, whether that be to due to civil liability or other sort of concerns. So that basically the UK's, um, you know, understanding of and ability to react to changes in economic crime typologies across money laundering and fraud but also the sanctions is is as 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 efficient as it can be and then that's leading to a real increase in prosecutions that's i make this point not with a specific uh, focus on the crypto asset sector because there are many other sectors where significant amounts of economic crime takes place so you know, for me it's about taking action increase in prosecutions increases in convictions increases in asset seizures as a result so um, if I were, you know, um, a economic crime minister, I think that's what my focus would be. But I think it's already there. So I think the, the, there's, there's a lot of potential for us to build on this plan in three, three and a half years time. Yeah. So you're all about the two E's, efficiency and effectiveness. Uh, <laughs> aligns yeah. Very fat focused. So, uh, yeah. And for me, I mean, I completely agree with you. And for, like, for me, the... Um, the the sort of signifier of that would be just a really great feedback loop between the sector, the supervisor and enforcement, which is giving you that real-time understanding of risk, sharing best practices on how to tune tools and how tools are used to identify, stop yeah. and seize assets, um, which then hopefully leads to that really uh, impactful enforcement mm. mechanism. That's a really good point. And I think you know, to stress, you know, the crypto asset sector has existed for, you know, in, in real terms for around a dozen years. I think we've, we, we in government, you know, haven't necessarily responded as, responded as swiftly as we can do some of the, the risks and threats, but we're now established a, a fairly comprehensive and we'll be establishing a, a largely comprehensive regulatory regime in the next few years. We've got 
great capabilities being developed and we've you know noted the commitment around multi-agency cells so that is doing exactly what you've noted as a, as a priority Isabella which is how can the regulator who's spent an awful lot of time reviewing plans controls the registration regime enrich the national crime agency's understanding about where controls should be you know what kind of controls they're seeing what sort of risks are emerging and that can then feed back to you know engagement with industry where we stress that there's x or y risk emerging and that these sort of controls are not doing the things that we'd hope to do as as except you know and, and i think there's just that's that's fertile ground for further collaboration i think as the plan stresses, private-public collaboration is going to be key to an effective response across all illicit finance typologies. So, thoroughly in agreement, basically. Well, sadly, I think we have to leave our discussion there. And that just leads me to say uh, thank you so much to both Ewan and Rachel for joining us today and telling us all about uh, Economic Crime Plan 2 and how it will impact the crypto asset sector. And also thank you to you, our audience, for joining us today. If you'd like to hear more from TRM, don't forget to sign up to our weekly crypto policy newsletter, TRM Weekly Roundup. You will find a link to do that in your handouts tab, um, but you can also do it via our website. If you think this TRM talk might be of interest to one of your colleagues or friends, it is recorded and it will be sent to you in the coming days. And Finally, um, if you would like to find out about the next TRM Talks, and we've got some really great ones in the pipe, follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Thank you so much again.